is a privilege to be with you this morning, and I've never been more thankful for technology. That although this morning we're, we're not the church gathering together as one, but we're the church who, as we sort of tune in, are one because of Christ. That, that we live in a day and age where we can worship all over our region, which, by the way, is part of my prayer, and I know your prayer anyway, uh, that we would literally uh, be the church in the areas in which we live throughout this region and, and actually throughout this country and throughout the world as people tune in week after week on our online campus. Uh, but it is a privilege to be one in Christ and to be able to gather together and to be able to worship the Lord that many in the world are asking questions that we, even we as believers are asking, and yet when everything is said and done, the difference between those who have faith in Christ and those who don't is that although many of the questions we ask have no answers at this moment, we know the one who is in control of these things. And, and there's some miraculous things happening if you haven't noticed, if you've watched the news, you go, what are they? First of all, have you noticed that the private and public sector actually got together to do something? That's a miracle. You may also realize that the Democrats and Republicans got together to do something. That ranks up there with God parting the Red Sea. God is working in our country, and it's often through chaos that the Lord brings a mighty movement. I'm thankful that our president, set aside this day as a national day of prayer. Once again, it follows in the traditions of leaders past who understood that in times like these, that God is the one we should turn to. Now, by the way, we should do that every day. We don't need a national day of prayer to turn to God, but so thankful for the leadership of this country, uh, drawing our attention, reminding us of the one who, who's in control. And so before I get into the message this morning, I want to take a moment and just pray. Uh, we take part together in a national day of prayer. So wherever you are in the spirit of prayer, would you not join in me uh, of lifting all of these things up to the Lord? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your love. Many are going to look at the the chaos in our society and wonder where you are, and yet the reality of it is you are working as you always do. In fact, I've been encouraged by stories from our own church family of unique opportunities that people have had to, to really share your love and message, but have come in the midst of this pandemic. Only you can allow your light to shine in the midst of some dark situations. Lord, there are those who, who range from the disinterested in the things that are happening to those who are living in fear. And I'm reminded that you have not given us a spirit of fear or timidity or cowardice. You've given us a spirit of love and power. And so, Lord, would you continue to work in us, your church, to bring your peace in the midst of chaos, to to, to represent you in the midst of all the things that are going on, to encourage our neighbor, to encourage our, our schoolmate, to encourage our colleague at work. Lord, we pray for every person who is sick, every person, Lord God, who may contract this COVID-19, and we ask that your healing hand would be upon them. Lord, that you give all of us wisdom in the way that we, we deal with ourselves as we encounter sickness or find ourselves in sickness or, or our family members or friends trying to care for those who are in the midst of sickness. 
I pray for those who have passed. I thank you that still the numbers are quite low here in our country, and we pray they would remain so. But one is enough to mourn. One family is enough to lift up. And so, Lord, we lift up the dozens and dozens who have dealt with loss and ask that you would just strengthen them and work in them. And, Lord God, that somehow in the midst of, of this difficult time that they would come to, to experience your love in a unique and powerful way. Lord, we pray for our government officials federally, Lord God, as we lift up our president and vice president, the task force, and the many, Lord God, in private and public sector who are working so hard in order to keep as many Americans safe as they can and in order to come up with the vaccine and so forth that would allow for us to be relieved of this. And yet, Lord God, we understand that it's only by your divine intervention that any of us can truly be secure. And so that they be found resting in you. I pray that over, over President Trump. I pray that over Vice President Pence. I pray that over, over Nancy Pelosi, over the House, and Mitch McConnell, over the Senate, Lord God. We just ask that all the divisions of party would be put aside and that we would be one people under God seeking your will. God, we pray for our governor. We pray for Governor Como. We pray, Lord, for him and his team, that you would give them wisdom. The decisions they're making, every one of them, is going to have a group of people who will cheer them on and another group who's going to be critical. Lord, I pray that we would just simply lay it in your feet, that we thank you for the decisions they make. We respect the, the weight that's on their shoulders. May your will be done. We pray that locally within our county and our cities that are represented here at Crosswinds throughout this region. We pray for our health workers. God, we pray that you would keep them healthy, that you would give them wisdom. Lord, we pray that the goal of, of, of the health community and the reason why we're, we're doing this service online is so that we can be a part of, of making sure that we don't peak above that, 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 that sort of that line of, of where our health care workers can care for those who, who need help. And, and so God, as we do our part, we pray, Lord, that you would just work in a way that would honor the work of so many people who are healers. I'm reminded that you're the ultimate healer. Bless the healers, Father. And Lord, help us be a light into this community. Help us shine your light brightly. We don't want to make light of this situation. Lord, I'll be honest. I pray that everything we're doing is overkill. But a year from now, when we look back, we, we would say all those things weren't necessary. But, oh, God, help us do what you call us to do, not just to honor you, but to honor those around us. That your love and message, your love and message would be brought to them. And we give you the praise on this National Day of Prayer for living in a country that still recognizes by it. By, by great multitudes, that you are the answer. We seek you this morning. We continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an interesting thing when you see God's hand on something as simple as a, as a sermon series, a message series. Uh, when Betty, Pastor Betty and I were working on this series called Serenity, Finding Inner Peace, Never in our wildest dreams would we have ever thought 
that we would be in the midst of the situation we're in, where people are desperately seeking peace. And I said, we never would have thought, but God in his wisdom knew (laughs) that this message, which by the way is for all times, when has there not been a time where people have asked the question, uh, Lord, how do I find peace? And yet I think more than ever, people are asking that question. And so here we are in this series, uh, this four-week series. Here we are in week number two uh, of serenity. We're exploring two, uh, four of the 12 steps found in Celebrate Recovery's 12-step, uh, 12-step recovery program. CR is a ministry of crosswinds that meets on the Canandaigua campus every Friday night, as long as we can meet, every Friday night. The purpose of Celebrate Recovery is to have fellowship with others and celebrate God's healing power in our lives. This is what I know. All of us, every single one of us, desire serenity, living with true inner peace. Uh, The problem is, is that in this world, we, we face chaos where all too often we find ourselves preoccupied by by past hurts, unhealthy habits, and and destructive hang-ups. And when we're focused on these things, Christ isn't sitting in the seat of the center of our life. We can't place something else as our main focus and truly believe that Jesus is the center. And so when we're preoccupied with past hurts and unhealthy habits and destructive hang-ups, we find ourselves adrift, adrift. However, God is faithful. The good news is that our Lord calls us to a life with access to true peace, but it's found only in him. This life of peace, gratitude, and freedom, and and blessing only comes through divine intervention. I mean, no no doubt that, that pain and hardship are universal, But through faith in Christ, we find hope and and healing and security in God. So here's the question. How then do we find peace? Well, there are steps we can take. Not steps made by man, not steps that that pop psychology has come up with, but steps in God's word that are reflected through the 12-step study in, in CR which allows us to have established in our very lives, no matter what is happening around us, God's peace and power. One such step is establishing biblical belief in our lives. In fact, to have peace, we we need to establish biblical peace in our lives. Now, last week, we looked at another step. We looked at overcoming denial. That when we come to God and honestly lay ourselves before him, but he begins to do a work in us, which leads to peace. And I made this statement. I I said, when you you come to God, you you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, that every day after that, we're still in need of our Savior. And not in the sense that I clarified it. If you remember, I clarified it. I said, not in the sense that we actually get re-saved, so to speak, but that we are able to understand that when we come to Christ, that he makes us right with God. But every day thereafter, we still need the Savior's work in our life. We, We still every day need him to give us his peace and his power. Well, not only do we every day need our Savior, 
But every day, we need to work out our salvation. Now, you say, what are you talking about? Well, Philippians 2.12 challenges us. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, again, just like when we come to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and we're made right with God, and we don't need to be re-saved, it's just a declaration that we still need our Savior every day, his peace and power. When we enter into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we don't need to sort of manufacture salvation again every day after that. But we work out our salvation by demonstrating our faith in Christ day after day after day. We, we, we work out our salvation by nurturing our relationship with God every single day. So we need our Savior every day, and we also need to work out our salvation every day. And so here we are, looking at this next step, establishing biblical belief. And, and what's that really mean? What does it mean to establish biblical belief? And we need to base our lives on Christ and who we are in him. That's what it means to really establish biblical belief. It means really understanding who God is, basing our life on him, and then learning who we are in him and walking by faith every day in that understanding. Basing our lives on Christ is not merely a philosophical decision. It requires placing our faith in Christ. We find an account in the book of Acts, Acts 16, 30, and 31 is the verses we're going to look at. But in Acts chapter 16, there's this interaction, this conversation, if you will, between Paul and Silas, two believers, with a non-believer who happens to be their jailer. Here's an interesting conversation, if you can picture it. The jailer asked Paul and Silas, 1630 of Acts, Acts 1630, Sirs what, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. Maybe you're asking it this morning. What must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas respond, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This verse could be worded this way. Could be worded this way. Believe, put your entire trust in Jesus as Lord, and you will be saved. Believe, put your entire trust in Jesus as Lord, and you will be saved. Now, one may ask, why do I need to be saved? I think that's a reasonable question. Uh, maybe if you're sitting here and you've even made a decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can think back of that question that you probably asked before you said yes to him, before you received him into your life. Why do I need to be saved? The simple truth is that we are all infected by sin and the consequences of sin. Sin is, is described in the Bible as any transgression uh, against the law of God and any rebellion against God. Sin is any lack of conformity to the moral law of God. And, and we're all in the same boat. If we think of the example of morality being God himself, not a person who's listening to this message this morning has ever measured up to that. We're all in the same boat. We were born with sin, and we all have personally chosen the sin. And what does sin do? It divides us from a holy God. Sin is actually the root of our past hurts. It's the root of our unhealthy habits. It's at the very root of destructive hang-ups. 
The reality is we live in a fallen world, a sinful world. And without the salvation found in Christ, we suffer the consequences from today into eternity. In other words, due to sin, we all deserve death. The scripture tells us that. The wage of sin, what we work so hard to achieve of everything we've got is death. The death is not just physical death. It's spiritual death through eternity. We need to be saved from the destructive consequences of sin this side of heaven on into eternity. So to establish biblical belief, we need to understand what the Bible teaches about sin and sin's consequences. When we look at it, since sin deals with the wrongness in our life and its eternal consequences, only an infinite God, only an infinite and holy God can pay the penalty for our sin. If what we deserve is death, but only a perfect God could pay that price. And yet when we look at the reality of who God is, there's a dilemma. Because an eternal, all-powerful God in his very divine nature cannot die. So what happened? God took upon his divinity humanity. But God entered into the world as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, put on a body, uh, put put humanity upon his divinity, and Jesus came and took on the human flesh and lived among us. He he taught us. Jesus had a a purpose in his coming. He, He didn't just come to teach us. He came, he said, to seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. Therefore, Jesus died for our sins and has been resurrected for our salvation. Because Jesus Christ is God, his death has eternal and infinite value. Let me say that again. It's so important we grasp this. Because Jesus Christ is God, his death has eternal and infinite value. Jesus' finished work on the cross was the perfect and complete payment for our sin. Here's the reality. Any finite sin against an infinite God has infinite consequences. That's bad news, right? That's bad news. Any finite sin against an infinite God has infinite consequences. That means we're all in the same boat on that one. That's bad news. Where's the good news? Any finite act of an infinite God has infinite consequences. That when Jesus died on the cross, that that finite act, that sacrifice by an infinite God, brought eternal consequences to all who received him. He, He paid a price we owed, but could not pay. He paid a price that he certainly did not owe, but only he could pay. Jesus' resurrection proves that his death was a perfectly sufficient sacrifice for sin and that placing our faith in him is a way to salvation. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot work for it. We cannot do good enough to to receive it. I mean, think about it. We're not saved by how we behave, nor are we excluded from salvation because of how we have behaved in the past. We're saved by what we believe today. Remember the words of Paul and Silas to the jailer, Acts 16, 31. Believe. Put your entire trust in Jesus as Lord, and you will be saved. 
God's already done the work. All we are called to do is receive him by faith. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, has done the work, and as we receive him, we enter into that salvation. Our, our, our destiny has changed, and every day after that, we still need our Savior. We need his power and his peace. Every day after that, we're still working out our salvation, learning what it means to demonstrate faith day after day after day, and learning what it means to, to nourish our relationship with God day after day after day. But here you go. We need fully to trust in Jesus alone as our payment for our sins to be saved. We believe in him and we don't perish. God offers all of us the gift of salvation and all we need to do by faith is receive it. Jesus, by the way, is the only way to salvation. Now I've heard people say, do you mean like, what about this group of people? What about that group of people? Listen to me this morning. Even for Christians, Jesus is the only way to salvation. For people here at Crosslands, for people here uh, all throughout our community in the world, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so many people get hung up on that. And yet, I'm just going to encourage you this morning. Instead of getting hung up on the one way, and by the way, let's face it, many of us would love to have life so less complicated. God gave us a simple path. Instead of getting hung up on Jesus being the one way, let's be thankful that Jesus is the way and that he opens it up for all of us to receive him to be saved. To establish biblical belief, we need to understand what the Bible teaches about salvation and our need to respond. If we're not moving toward a biblically accurate understanding of God, and in salvation, then we're left lost with what I would call the inaccurate. See, our understanding of God forms the concept of our identity, our, our purpose, our, our mission. Our, our belief about God directly influences our actions and, and attitudes. It's not a stretch to declare that our very lives depend on establishing biblical belief. We need to base our lives on Christ and, and who we are in him. And when we rely on God, we're freed from the fruitless struggle of relying on self and others. There's peace. Even now, in the midst of, uh, of dare I say this, this, this crisis, everyone's looking for relief everywhere, all around. And I'm here to tell you, true inner peace is only found in Jesus. He's the one that brings peace. When we rely on God, we're declaring that we trust him to do what only he can do for us. Serenity, true inner peace is only found in God. What's it mean to believe? To believe in something or someone is to commit to it. And to have peace, we, we need to respond to our establishing biblical belief by committing ourselves to Jesus. Not only does such a belief in Christ lead to salvation, but this right understanding of God and accepting of the Lord takes us one step at a time further down the path that God has laid out for each and every one of us. Serenity is found in living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, following the Lord through the highs and lows of life, embracing it all as the pathway God has called us to walk. In the end, 
It's who we are in Christ, who we're meant to be in service and praise to him that defines our future. Think about it. In the end, it's who we are in Christ. It's who we who are meant in service and praise to him that defines our future. To have peace, we need to respond to our establishing belief by accepting who we are in Jesus. Our future is only limited by our own inability to accept the grace of God. By God's grace alone, we're saved. By his love alone, his profound love, we're saved. By God's power, we're filled with his peace. And as we base our life on him and who we are in him. Now, I've asked a good friend of mine this morning, Lyric McConnell, if he would come up and and share a bit of his testimony with us, uh, to share his story of how his story intersected with God's story. And and as you hear his testimony, I pray not only does it encourage you, uh, but that you would uh, be motivated, if you will, to establish that biblical belief. Lyric, thank you for coming and sharing your testimony with us this morning. (laughs) We weren't supposed to do that, but we're doing it anyway. (laughs) I'm a hugger. I am too. I get it from Greg. <laughs> um, my name is Larrick, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm also committed um, and grateful to be his follower. And uh, I struggle, I celebrate recovery from drugs and alcohol, uh, codependency, sexual addictions, and a lot of other hurts, habits, and hangups. Believing in God has brought hope and transformation into my life. God changes my actions to be aligned with my beliefs in him. I believe that God exists and that he is perfect. He is good and I matter to him. God is who he says he is and he keeps his promises. Max Lucado writes in his book, Be Anxious for Nothing. He says, to change the way a person responds to life, change what a person believes about life. The most important thing about you is your belief system. Although I came to believe in God at the age of 17, I did not allow this belief to change many of my actions. I continued to live my life uh, my own way rather than God's way. And after years of chaos, I felt completely separated from God. This led me to a time in my life where my sin debt was at an all-time high. The Lord allowed me to hit rock bottom to see how much of a sinner I was and to show me how desperately I needed a savior. I choose to believe that Jesus is the son of God who lived a perfect life free from sin. I believe his death on the cross paid my sin debt in full. He took my place on that cross. I used to be a crimson red sinner, lost without hope, living for myself and headed down a dark path. I stand here today as a grateful believer in Christ who has been washed white as snow. And then I allowed God to change my actions to become more aligned with my beliefs. I began a new life as a new creation in Christ. I learned from the book of James 2, 21 through 22, what good is it it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? This talks about Abraham being considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Verse 22 reads, you see, that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Our faith and our actions should go hand in hand and what we believe should affect our actions and our actions should show our faith. I am an adopted son of God who is a part of his family and I'm a part of his church. 
and he is continually transforming me to be more like his son, Jesus. I am currently in the sanctification process, which is like recovery, is a process, and I am not a perfect Christian. I need Jesus more today than when I first believed because of my understanding of my need for him. God helps me with so many things that direct my actions, and my job is to trust and depend on him. I am in awe and honored that God could use someone as broken and as scarred like me to share God's love and grace with other people. I am a leader at Celebrate Recovery. I'm in training to be a co-leader with my wife for a young adult small group and doing one-on-one discipleship with a brother in Christ. God is shaping and blessing me in both of my most important ministries, to be a godly husband to my lovely wife, Jess, and to be a godly dad for my beautiful son, Levi. My future is certain because I believe in Christ. This is where I put all my belief in one basket. I believe that on the third day, Jesus was resurrected and defeated sin and death. This is such an important belief to being a Christ follower because if it wasn't for this event, we wouldn't have any hope for eternity or this life. Instead, death would be the end and sin would still have power over our lives. Since I have been resurrected in Christ, sin no longer has power over me. When I die, I will walk out of the grave to spend eternity with my God and my forever family. And this is the best hope that you can have. And this is what God wants for all of us. I challenge us today to question if our beliefs are directing our steps or if we are claiming to believe in God without allowing that belief to transform our actions. Also, I want to encourage you with God's word. Romans 10.10 says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I believe in Jesus Christ with all my heart, and he has made me right with God. By being willing to share my faith with you and God's work on the cross, I am a saved man. Hebrews 11.6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I believe in God the Father, and I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and they've given me new life, and they can give you new life too. I am, ple- I am pleasing to God because of my faith and allowing him to continue to change my actions. I am a walking miracle that proves he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Thank you all for letting me share my testimony, and praise be to God. What a powerful testimony. And I think at the root of of how God uses testimony, I remember Revelation teaches us that Satan is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, is that when we see what God has done in another person, not only do we celebrate what God has done in them, but it encourages us, it gives us hope, it, it, it reminds us of what God has done in a person, he can do in each and every one of us. That his love can fill us. That those past hurts, those those hang-ups, those habits, that, that he really can deliver us from that. But he's in the business of, of making people new in him. So what does it look like to have peace? What it, what's it mean to establish biblical belief in our lives? Well, let me encourage you this morning to seek the Spirit's leading. As you establish biblical beliefs in your life, as you, as you establish these biblical beliefs, by exploring God's word, 
do that personally, spend time alone with God every day. Be involved in our weekend worship experiences. No, no, we're not on the campus today, but we are experiencing him together wherever we're watching this. Look into a small group, a one-on-one discipleship. And you may be sitting there and saying, well, we're not supposed to be really close to people right now, right, physically. This will not last forever. And so plan today for what God wants you to do in these areas. Let, let me encourage you. Let me encourage each of us, study God's word so that we can understand who God is and who we are in him. And when we realize who God is and who we are in him, then let's walk as those who are in him. It's amazing to me how many times I'll, I'll, I'll talk to someone who's been in Christ for a long time, and yet they still haven't accepted who they are in Jesus. They see themselves as the old person. They see themselves still trapped by the same things before they came to the Lord. Yeah, recovery is a process. Becoming like Jesus is a process. I've often said this, if you think you've arrived, then you need more work than any of us. All these things are a process. And that's why we still need a Savior. We need a Savior to, to have a right relationship with God, to, as we say in, in his church, to be saved, for our destiny to be changed, for, for the resources of heaven to work in our life. But every day, every day, we need the power and peace of our Savior. We need it. Our neighbor needs it. Our community needs it. Every day, we're called to, to work out our salvation. No, no, not get really saved, but, but to learn. Today, what does it mean to demonstrate faith in God? In the midst of this crisis, in the midst of whatever you think about what's going on, what is God calling you to do out of your being in him that expresses faith? What is he calling you to do to, to nurture, if you will, your relationship with him? To allow his power and freedom and, yes, his peace to reign in you. Whatever that is, whatever that next step is, I, I just want to encourage you right here and now as we go to the Lord in prayer, won't you take that step? If it's receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior, take that step. You'll never regret it. But whatever it is, maybe you're a believer and God's saying, take this next step with me. Take this next step in demonstrating faith. Take this next step in nurturing your relationship with God. Take this next step in sharing God's love and message to those around us who so desperately need it all the time. But it's so acute right now. Whatever it is, as we pray, won't you say yes? Won't I say? Won't we say yes to him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the testimony that we've looked at through your word. Thank, of, thank you for the testimony that we heard from Lyric. And God, you're still on the move. The world may be looking for answers. Maybe, maybe we as believers are still looking for some answers. But when everything's said and done, you're still on the move. You're working at all times, even in the midst of this craziness. Whether we're tuning in and, and this morning and, and we're sitting back and saying, what's all this hoopla about? What, what, what is all this great? Why are we? Or maybe we're turning in and, and we'd be honest and say, there's some fear in me. 
God, wherever we find ourselves, will you please find us? You came to seek and save us. And so Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has yet to receive you as Lord and Savior in the quietness of their heart, wherever they find themselves as they're listening and participating in this service, may they say yes to you. May they receive you as Lord and Savior. May they somehow connect with us, and they're going to hear a little bit of how they can do that in just a moment. But may they connect with us so we can help them take their next step and their next step and their next step. Lord, those of us who are found in you, we made that decision maybe days or, or weeks or months or maybe moments ago. Help us take our next step in you. Teach us what it means today to demonstrate faith in you. Teach us what it means today to nurture our relationship with you. Teach us what it means today to share your love and message with others. Lord, some will look at what we're going through and say, how could a loving God? I choose to think a little differently. In the midst of the chaos, I want to say thank you for being a loving God, for being my strength, for being my shield, for filling me with your peace, for filling me with your power. And Lord, for blessing me, not just to hoard it, but blessing me so I can bless others. Lord, your church this morning is literally scattered throughout this region, this country, throughout the world as we sort of come together as we are part of this service. Use us where we're at, in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplace, our schools. Give us creativity and a culture right now that says you need to practice social distancing. May we trust that your very spirit will close that distance, that many would find peace in you. And we give you the praise and the glory. We thank you for loving us so much, Jesus. Jesus.